Hey, thanks for downloading this edition of the Cross Defense Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfner. This episode, we talk about, it's a Martyr Monday today. We talk about St. Agatha, who she was, what she did, what that means for us, how she can be our hero. We also take up a question about the image of God. Is it completely lost? What is it? And then we end with a little devotion on seeing the world through spiritual eyes. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. If you have questions, please send them my way, wolfmuller.co. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome to Cross Defense. How are you doing? I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas, and also Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church, also in Austin, Texas, inviting you to drop in whenever you're hanging around Austin. And thanks for listening to Cross Defense. We got, oh, this is going to be a lot. I don't know. We got to try to squeeze it all in today. We got a lot to cover. I got three things we want to do. First of all, we're declaring today a Martyr Monday. You know what that means, or maybe you don't, because we haven't done this in a long time. But we got to hear the stories of the old Christian martyrs, and today we're going to talk about Saint Agatha, old Saint Agatha. We're going to hear her story. Agatha was one of Martin Luther's favorite martyrs. I'll t- maybe I'll tell you a little bit more about that, and then we're gonna we got a question about the image of God from Ardith. We're going to answer that question. And then we're hopefully going to have a discussion about seeing the world through spiritual eyes. What does that mean? What are we talking about when we talk about seeing the world through spiritual eyes? That's what's on tap for today on Cross Defense. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to more information about Cross Defense, KFUO.org has all the shows archived there. You can, If you miss something, you can go and subscribe to the podcast, which is kind of cool. And you can listen on demand anytime through your podcast listener. We're even on Spotify and iTunes and, you know, all the podcast kind of stuff. And there's notes and stuff on the website. And my website is wolfmuller.co, where you can see a bunch of other things, including we got an upcoming book called A Martyr's Faith for a Faithless World related to today's topic. That comes out here in a few weeks. You can find the information how to pre-order that from Concordia Publishing House or from Amazon.com, or whatever. You can also sign up for a free weekly newsletter called Wednesday Whatnot, which I send out mostly on Wednesdays, although I have to admit that Wednesdays have been busy lately. But it's kind of various sort of tidbits and interesting videos or stuff that I found as I'm cruising around, kind of trying to think and engage in the world theologically, and I send all that stuff up. In fact, Wednesday Whatnot started because I thought, how can I how can I have a blog where I never finish writing any articles, you know? I mean, starting an article is easy, but finishing, that's the tough part. So what can I do? And I said, well, I just send out little thoughts or ideas or something like that. That's how Wednesday Whatnot got started, so... Anyway, St. Agatha, let's talk about this. Now, I noticed one time, I I was looking, uh, how did this story go? I was looking a while back for that Tertullian quotation. Tertullian, one of the church fathers, said something like, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, which is really interesting. I mean, if, if you are expecting something like that, you're maybe expecting the blood of the martyrs is the is the water that waters the seed of the church, but the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And and that was quoted by Martin Luther. Now, I knew that Luther, I had just read it somewhere in Luther. So I went and I've got Luther's works on computer, which is really nice. You can search it, you know, find out what he talks about, this or that. And so I went and I searched, where does Luther talk about that particular quote? And I, I found that Luther 
all the time is talking about the martyrs. What's this? And that sent me on a couple of your studies of a, a number of different things. What part of the result of that is this little book, A Martyr's Faith for a Faithless World. And then another little essay, uh, Martin Luther's Evangelical Theology of Martyrdom, uh, which is going to be published sometime this summer in the Doxology Zalesorga magazine, maybe a little monogram I might try to publish sometime in a couple of years that sort of lists all the stuff uh, about Luther and the martyrs. But I found that Luther had an had a interest. He mentioned quite often two particular martyrs, and interestingly enough, both of them were young girl martyrs. Now, they come up so much because, because the church understood them as good examples of nunneries. And, you know, you know in the beginning there was... There was the women that would commit themselves to study the Scripture, men that would commit themselves to study the Scripture, and they'd say, we're not going to be married. We're just going to commit ourselves to studying the Lord's Word. And they were kind of good examples of what it meant to be a Christian student. And two of those were these saints, Agatha and Agnes. And Agnes is the one we're going to talk about today. Now, I think this thing that stuck out in, in Luther's mind as he, as he learned and knew the story of Agatha and Agnes is the joy that they had as they went to be martyred the, the the kind of happiness that they felt when they were called to this extreme suffering this extreme torture really if you will so we'll talk about that but let's get the story first so if you could go back to the a to the year 253 not many of you remember that far back 253 we're in sicily which is the little boot that the country of italy is kicking in and we're on the northern coast of Sicily. And Agatha is born there. And she was apparently a, a beautiful young lady who had committed herself to chastity and to study the Scripture. Again, she was an example, kind of an early example of the, of the good form of nunnery. And there was a guy, uh, Quintilius. I'm going to make sure that that is his name. Quintanus. Quintanus. Let's call him Quintanus who was one of these Roman rulers in Sicily, and he wanted to marry Agatha, both because of her beauty and her wealth. And so he brought Agatha to make a sacrifice to the idols, I guess like a first date or something. They're going to say, hey, let's go sacrifice to the pagan idols. And Agatha refused. And then this is going to kind of escalate and spiral out of control. Because this now this Quintilius, who's a kind of a pro-host and or pro Roman proconsul in this area is going to get so angry that that she, he's going to try to basically use the laws against Christianity to torture into marrying her and she's going to and she's going to refuse. Now I'm going to read a little a few excerpts of the story from the Golden Legend. Now the Golden Legend is this old collection of martyrdoms from like 1260 or something. Nobody knows who wrote it. The Lutherans always would make fun of it, but it was well known. So here's here's how the story. Now I'll cut out some of the sort of more legendary stuff and try to get to the historical stuff. So, but here's here's some quotes from the Golden Legend about what happens. When Quintanus saw her firm purpose not to commit idolatry, he put her in the keeping of a woman named Aphrodisia, who had nine daughters, overly foul like their mother. And he did this to induce St. Agatha to do his will within 30 days. So he sends her basically to this wicked woman, maybe a prostitute, to live for a month. And after a month, he comes back and says, now you're going to marry me? But Agatha still refuses. My courage and my thoughts are so firmly founded upon the firm stone of Jesus Christ 
that for no pain it may not be changed. Your words be but wind, your promises be but rain, your menaces be as rivers that pass. And how well that all these things hurtle at the foundation of my courage, yet for that it shall not move. So Agatha says to this guy, who who is not who's going to get angrier and angrier, she says, look, your winds, your threats, it's like the rain, it's like the river. It's not going to move this foundation of my faith, which is firmly planted in Christ. Aphrodisia sends this lady back to Quintanus and with these words, when Aphrodisia saw well that no wise she would be moved, she went back to Quintanus and said to him, sooner should the stones wax soft and iron turn to soft lead than to turn the courage of this maid or to take her from the Christian faith. Now, that that, that would be said of you and me. It's, it's more likely that the iron turns to lead. It's more likely that the stones turn to wax than our hearts be turned away from Christ. Now, that, that, by the way, let me just pause there and say that that's one of the reasons why we want to study these stories of the martyrs, because they there's some sort of there's some sort of heroism that is there in the martyrs that I'm not. I just don't know if we have it these days. I don't. I just. I'm worried. I could be wrong, and and maybe I'm talking from a specifically American context, where things are so easy, where where our faith is so um, unthreatened that the kind of resolve that was required by the martyrs is is simply it's almost it's never asked of us now i think one of the reasons why we need a story to to study the stories of the martyrs is because i think the day is coming when when this will be asked of us i mean i i, I think the days are coming and maybe not in our lifetime but maybe in our lifetime i think the days are coming where it'll be asked of us are we serious about what we believe are we willing to suffer for what we believe are we willing to die for what we believe now we we say so but there are those who have gone before us that have had to suffer and die and we want to know how it went with them okay so when Quintanus we're picking up the story again when Quintanus heard this he made he made Agatha come before him in judgment and demanded of her her lineage and that she would and that at last he would constrain her to make a sacrifice to the idols. So where are you from? Who are your parents? You got to make you're a Roman citizen. You got to make these idol sacrifices. And Agatha answered that these idols are not God, but that they're devils. And the idols made of marble have the devils behind them and of wood and over gilt and so forth. Now, this is an important thing and it's a it's a theme that comes up in all the ancient church. It came up in Paul where he says when you sacrifice to idols, you're not sacrificing to God, but to the demons and to recognize that behind all the idols of the ancient world were the demons I mean that's what that's what idolatry is it's the worship of the demons and so when we see these idols in these pagan all this kind of paganism of the ancient world we want to recognize that there was a spiritual there was a spiritual something going on there it wasn't God or the true God but that all the pagan gods were were worships were were different places or ways to worship the idols that's a true thing. I mean, there's a there's so that there's a true spiritual force behind all these pagan gods, and Agatha knew it. And again, all the ancient church fathers wrote about it. It's good for us to remember to remember that. So Quintanus says to her, "All right, Agatha, choose one of the two: sacrifice to our gods, or suffer pain and torment. Here's your option. Here's what you have to do. 
Now, this is always how it goes for the martyrs. Now, what there's a nice thing for the martyrs because this choice is so clear for them. I mean, they're standing there, and there's a little, there's a little pagan altar where they offer an incense to Caesar and say, Lord Caesar, or whatever, offer the incense to, to Jupiter or one of the pagan gods. And on the other side of that altar is freedom. They go home. They live in peace. It's great. And then there's another path, and on the other side of that path is a stake set on fire or lions licking their chops, and it's so clear-cut. Now, it's one of the nice things about the martyrs is it's so, I mean, you know what your two options are. Oftentimes for us, and it's good for us to reflect on, is that the choice is not so clear. I mean, it's not so obvious that we're being called to to either confess Christ and die or to deny Christ and live. But that, but this is the, really the choice and what the choice comes down to. And so Quintanus says, you got to, you have one of two choices. You can offer the sacrifice to the false god. You can say, Lord Caesar, or you will suffer pain and torment. Those are your only two options. And so Agatha answers and says, and I love this, because these martyrs are a bit cheeky. I mean, they know that Jesus is Lord. And so they're looking, here's Quintanus in this, you know, probably fancy big judgment seat and all this other stuff. And she's not intimidated by that. So she answers and says, I marvel that such a wise man has become such a fool, that thou sayest of them to be thy gods, whose life you will, or your, li or your wife will not follow. In other words, they can't give you life. If they're good, I would that their life would be like unto theirs. If they refuse their life, then you are one of cord with me. In other words, she's looking at the wood and saying, look, this isn't even alive. Do you see the statue? It's not even moving. It doesn't breathe. You want to live like that? You want to follow after that kind of God? You want your wife to follow after that kind of God, a dead God and not a living God? And in this way, Agatha reflects the kind of mockery that Isaiah says. Or in the Psalms, even from King David, it says they, they make their gods out of wood that neither can see or can speak or can live, and those who worship them become like them. Now, this is a key thing in the Scriptures, and it's maybe slightly off the topic of what we're talking about here, but to realize that that there is a... Uh, we, we become like what we worship. So if we start to worship the gods that are dead, we ourselves become dead. If we start to worship the gods that are obsessed with power, we ourselves become so. We we become like what we worship. And so she says, looks at the sticks and the rocks and these false gods and says, you want to live like that? Quintanus? Who says, and he doesn't really answer the question here, Quintanus says, why goest thou thus vainly speaking? Make a sacrifice unto the gods, or if you do not, I shall make you to die by various diverse torments. <laughs> What a kind of lovely guy. And I don't know what kind of strategy he was after to marry her, but I think it's probably gone. I mean, he's just he's just now being vengeful. But it says, St. Agatha abode firm and stable in the faith. So Quintanus did put her in a dark prison. And here's the key. I want you to pay attention to this. And this is what catches Luther's attention as well regarding St. Agatha. Luther preaches about St. Agatha, and this incident right here, he preaches about it in his very last sermon a couple of days before he dies. This made a huge impression on him, and it should make also a huge impression on us. It, it says that St. Agatha abode firm and stable in the faith, and Quintanus did put her in a dark prison, and she went there gladly, as with a good will as good a will as she had been invited to go to a wedding.
Agatha goes to prison with as much joy and delight and contentment and and even giddy happiness as if she were invited to go to a wedding party now how can that be how can she go how can she go to prison and to torment and to tortures as if going to a party i mean that is the that is the thing that the martyrs are going to challenge us with and invite us to this this ability to face death but not the kind of stoic unmoving facing of death that's able to endure it knowing that something good is on the other side but even a even a joyful a, a skipping and dancing to death Well, we'll hear the rest of the story on the other side of the break. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm Pastor Brian Wolf, the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Death Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. And you're listening to Cross Defense. This will be a short one. Stick with us. Short break, and we'll come back and keep up with the story of St. Agatha, martyr, uh, a hero for us. Uh, stay tuned. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Listening to KFUO on your smartphone is so easy to do. Smartphone assistant, play KFUO. Playing KFUO radio. You can also visit the place where you get your apps and download the KFUO app. You can also go to the KFUO homepage. Wow, the KFUO homepage is customized to fit your phone with an easy-to-find listening button. When you're on the webpage, you can browse for more information. You can listen to KFUO 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. Don't forget about Facebook, Facebook.com slash KFUO radio. Now you're just acting like a no. Welcome back to Martyr Monday here on Cross Defense. We're talking about Agatha. We got a lot to cover, but we're just like a third of the way through the story of Agatha, who was Quintanus wants to marry her and she refuses. She's really dedicated herself to study the Lord's word, and so he's going to torture her. You go, come and worship the idols. No, she refuses, so he sends her to prison and she goes gladly as if bidden to go to a wedding. Stunning. Stunning. <laughs> I mean, we, what, we live in a hero-less world. you know that? We live in a world where people are just cutting down any sort of hero. We, you, even just politically, you have a champion. You say, no, no, look, he had slaves and did all this tremendously bad stuff and fair enough it's good to look at the at the true history of things but we 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 attack history 
in order to cut down the heroes. I think because we don't want to we don't want anybody to be better than us. We want to kind of drag everyone down with us, and that's a bad instinct. We need heroes to pull us up. Someone, you know, this idea that you know everything you need to know about a person when you know who their heroes are. I think there's a truth to that. And for the Christian, the heroes have always been the martyrs. They called us to something really quite incredible. And that's what Agatha is calling us towards as she goes joyfully to prison. And four days later, Quintanus calls her back. Here's how the story continues if you're sticking with me. If you, by the way, are just tuning in, you can listen to the pod, download the podcast of Cross Defense and get the whole thing. So Quintanus made her to be brought before him in judgment and said to her, Agatha, how are you advised for your health? How are you doing? How's your health? You've been in prison for four days. You haven't been eating. We've been mistreating you. How's your health? And she says to him, I, I love this Agatha. She says, Christ is my health. <laughs> this is so great. Quintanus says, Deny Christ thy God, which thou mayest escape the torments. And Agatha answered, Nay, but deny your idols, which are of stone and wood, and adore your maker that made heaven and earth. And if you do not, you will be torment tormented in perpetual fire of hell. She says, You want to threaten me? You want me to worship your idols and avoid your torments? I'll tell you what, Quintanus, you should repent of your idolatry and worship your maker and avoid the eternal torments of hell. That did it. Quintanus has Agatha drawn and stretched. He orders her breasts to be cut off. She continued to confess her faith. She was thrown in prison. And the old stories tell us, and if you look up Agatha, this is where the kind of legendary stuff comes in, that she was visited by St. Peter at night, and she was healed of all of her injuries. And four days later, she's brought to her, and he says that she should sacrifice to idols. And she answers... Your words are in vain. Your commandments are evil. They make the air to stink. <laughs> he is such a merchant that believeth in a stone without intentment, and leaveth our Lord, the very God that hath healed me. He has restored me again. Quintanus, who healed you? She says, Jesus. Quintanus, you still call on Jesus? She says, I have in my heart Jesus Christ as long as I live. And so he says, We'll see if he'll help you now. And he made her, he stripped her, rolled her in burning fire. And the ground where she was rolled is trembled and part of the wall falls. There's some more legendary stuff that goes down here. And then it says he redoubled uh, what the anger of the people. He went and said that she should be thrown in prison. And when she came into prison, she folded her hands, holds them up to heaven and says, praying, Lord God, Jesus Christ, You've created me from nothing, and since my youth you've kept me and you've let me live well. You've taken my heart, you've taken from my heart the love of the world, and you've made me to overcome these torments. You have given me patience among all these pains. I pray thee now to take my spirit, for the time is here that you make me depart from the world and come to your mercy. She prayed this after she had suffered all these things in prison, and then she died there in prison in the year of our Lord 200 and 53 during the time of Decius, the emperor of Rome. So dies Agatha of Sicily, 20, 22 years old in this persecution. We'll meet her in the resurrection. Now, what are we, what are we to make of this? I mean, one is, you know, we got to sit here and 
wrestle a little bit with all of the sort of, I don't know, like the wild stories that come in these martyrs and all these miracles and everything else. But there's something for us really to see here. I mean, when we look past all the sort of uh, like obvious sort of amendments to the story and, and the made-up legendary sort of things, that, the, that there, there probably was a young lady named Agatha who, probably, who was tortured for her faith and who died. She died. This is the point. She died confessing her faith. And she has this moment, Agatha does, where she's called on to renounce Jesus or to, or, or to be tortured. Renounce, renounce Jesus or go to the fire. And she says, I'm going to go to the fire. And I'm going to go to the fire gladly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to glad. It's, it's not a pretend gladness. It's not a pretend dance to death. It's not, it's not kind of making something up that there's this a profound joy that the Christian has when we're called on to die in the name of Jesus. Now, I, I think this is stunning on, on a number of different levels. And, uh, and I'm, I'm following in some way, I'm following the, the lead of Luther, who also thought this was stunning. I mean, he, he always is talking. He's always talking about Agatha. I'll give you an example. This is Luther commenting on John chapter 14. We read about the holy martyrs who defied tyrants or about the suffering and torturings of the young virgins Agnes and Agatha who were so cheerful and happy on their way to prison and death that they imagined with pride that they were going to their wedding. Indeed, dear daughter, if you can face imprisonment and beheading as though you were going to a dance, then your heart mind and courage must surely be different from the world's you can disdain life and limb nobility and friendships and all the possessions on which the world places its reliance such courage must be the work of none other than the holy spirit in other words luther says this this is this is how the holy spirit works a change in us so that rather than being Afraid of death, which is, remember, the bondage to the devil. That's, the, that's what it looks like to be enslaved to the devil. It, it looks like being afraid to die. Hebrews chapter 2, the devil keeps us in bondage to the fear of death all our lives. We've been set free from that by Jesus so that, we, so that we're free from this fear of death. And it looks like this kind of almost like an insane joy as we're called to go to our, as we're called to go to our death. You want to, she wants some more, Luther? I got some more here. Faith, faith makes a, a true change in the Christian heart. Luther says this, Faith is a divine work in us that transforms us and begets us anew from God. It kills the old Adam, makes us entirely different people in heart, spirit, mind, and all our powers, and brings the Holy Spirit with us. Oh, faith is a living, busy, active, mighty thing so that it's impossible for it to not constantly be doing what's good. Faith is a vital, deliberate trust in God's grace so certain that it would die a thousand times for it, and such confidence and knowledge of divine grace makes us joyous, meddlesome, and merry towards God and all creatures. So Luther says, the saintly martyrs and the saintly maidens, Agatha, Lucia, and many others, were bound to the vine of Jesus. They regarded death as a game and sin and hell as nothing. They were completely certain of the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and the best intention of the Father. Even in the midst of death, they were joyful and fearless. 
joyful and fearless in the face of death. It's just it's amazing. It's amazing to hear, to hear this story of Agatha and to think that this is how the Lord is setting us up. You want one more? I'll give you one more. I got it right here. This is so great. Luther, this is Luther's comment on John 15. That's the, I am the vine, you are the branches. Thus we also read that when St. Agatha, a girl, a young girl, 14 or 15 years old, maybe older, was being led to imprisonment and torture, she went cheerfully and said that she felt as though she were being escorted to a dance. These are surely words of comfort and defiance from a young girl who regards the torment and death to which she is being led as no different from a wedding and an occasion for the greatest joy. This is due to faith, which has averted the eyes from the physical appearance and the sensations that are around us and has directed them upward to the life beyond. Faith has concluded, what can they accomplish, these enemies of mine, even if they do their worst and afflict me with every misfortune? They only usher me quickly from this misery to Christ in heaven. It is, Luther continues, it is the sole purpose of all the sufferings of Christians to promote our Christian life and to bear fruit for a fuller knowledge and a stronger confession of the word a more certain hope, and a wider expansion of the kingdom of Christ. The world, to be sure, intends to do us harm, but it really accomplishes no more than what the church sings about the martyrs. Unknowingly, they lead us to eternal joys. Unknowingly and involuntarily, the world leads the Christians through torture and death to eternal joys. Such tortures are nothing else, as St. Agatha said, than taking our arms in a friendly way and leading us to heaven as a bride is led to a dance. Whatever harm is done to a Christian by the world, God turns back their anger and lets the harm redound to their advantage. Now, did you get that? Did you get that? This should just blow your mind. When we see the example of St. Agatha and see Luther expounding it, and we, and we see this... This, this kind of pressing on us of, of, of having joy in the midst of our suffering, what the scriptures are telling us is that nothing bad can be done to us and that when the world wants to cause us all sorts of trouble, you have to imagine it. Okay, okay, imagine it like this. Here comes the devil with an enemy like cancer. And he says, ah, I'm now I'm going to take this cancer and I'm going to devour you and I'm going to eat up your flesh. And how does the Christian see it with spiritual eyes? It's like cancer is like the person that comes to get you and, and walk you to the, to the heavenly banquet. <laughs> They're sent to accompany you to joys unimaginable. That, that here comes some sort of disease, I don't know, Alzheimer's or, or some sort of tragedy. I mean, here we are in the morning, all this kind of nonsense and violence that goes around us. It's just kind of vile to live in this world. And, and here comes, but here, here comes some sort of violence. And this is, the devil wants us to destroy it. But, but the Christian says, well, here, here are the tortures, here are the afflictions, here are the suffering, here are, the, here are all the trouble, here are the flames and the lions and the swords and the, and the assaults. They come along and they grab you by the arm and say, can I take you to the wedding? Can I, can I walk you to the dance? Can I bring you to the place where your joys will have no end? Can I, can I take you? Can I take you to the life that will never, ever end? Can I take you to joys beyond anything that you could ask for or imagine? And we say yes, and we go gladly. We go, we go gladly to the joys of eternal life. 
to the to the uh, to the face of Jesus, to the sleeping, the, uh, the sleep of the saints, and awaking to to behold the face of God. <laughs> this is fantastic. So they un, the, the the hymn I can't remember. I think I found. I think Sean Kilgo found the name of this hymn for me. By the way, shout out to Sean Kilgo. Who unknowingly they lead us to eternal joys. That's the hymn that Luther references. Unknowingly they lead us to eternal joys. So the devil comes along to torture us. And unknowingly he undoes his own purpose. Because as he kills us, he brings us to glory. (laughs) Unknowingly and involuntarily the world leads Christians through torture and death to eternal joys. I mean, what? Dear Christian friend, what can the devil do to you? <laughs> he says, I'm going I'm to kill you. Well, okay. Because for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause you to suffer. Well, that just carries me a little bit further along. Do you see that the, the, the Christian approach to death is so... Now, now look, I, I, you know, I have to preach to myself here, too, because, because when death comes along and when it comes along to those that we love and when it comes along, I mean, it is an intimidating proposition. And I'm going to have to die one day, too, and you guys should preach this back to me when it's time for me to die also. It's, it's not only to know that when we face death, it's not just that we're not afraid. It's more than that. It's not just a it's not a just a taking away of fear. There's a there's a true there's a true joy that the Christian has in their suffering because we know that it's just a little bit closer to that most glorious to that most glorious moment when we see Jesus face to face. Here's some more Luther. You guys got me all excited. This is Luther's commentary on Psalm 54. Thus, he says, the flesh is crucified, but the spirit is saved and set free in trouble. Look how short this psalm is, and yet how long. The apostle says, 2 Corinthians 12, strength is made perfect in weakness, and when I'm weak, then I'm strong, and I will gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the strength of Christ may dwell in me. Psalm 68, verse 9 says, it was weak, but you did make it perfect. So we read in 2 Corinthians 13, Christ is not weak, but powerful in you. And this way of speaking is quite customary for the apostle. Did not also the holy moder- moder- <clears throat> did not also the holy martyrs demonstrate this indeed? Think of St. Agatha, St. Lucia, St. Agnes, and others. How the more the people raged against them openly, the more courageous they became inwardly. And here they were able to say, in distress, thou hast enlarged me. So that as the world heaps trouble on us, we're, the Holy Spirit is working to enlarge our own hearts. More Luther. We got to end. We got to. I can't believe you guys are. This is going too fast. We're gonna, almost at the end of this segment. Let me give you one more little thing for, for Luther. In Romans 5, 3, St. Paul says, we rejoice in our suffering. Later on, many martyrs, men and women, went to their deaths with happy hearts and laughing mouths as though they were going to a happy festival or a dance. Because they were. That's my addition. That's where we're going. We're, we're going to a feast. 
So we read, Luther continues, so we read of St. Agnes and St. Agatha, who were virgins of 13 or 14 years and many others. They not only boldly and confidently conquered the devil and the world through their deaths, but were also cheerful with all their hearts, just as if they had been drunk with great joy. And how does it vex the devil beyond measure when one can so confidently despise his great might and guile? <laughs> devil, you want to make me afraid? No. Afraid of what? Afraid of dying? There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've already died with Christ. My life is hidden with God in Christ. I've been crucified already. You're going to take my life? That just takes me to heaven. So in our times, too, Luther says, many have died cheerfully because they have confessed Christ. It's not an enduring of... It's a... Well, you guys get the point. St. Agatha. St. Agatha. And joy on the way to death. That is Martyr Monday. All right, let's go to the break. We'll be right back. And, oh, we're going to be right back and try to take up two things, what it means to see with spiritual eyes and what is the image of God. Stay tuned for that. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'll be right back. This is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. I wrote a book, A Martyr's Faith for a Faithless World. It's got me, it kind of comes out of all this reflection about the martyrs. And I wrote it about the parable of the sower and how the devil, the world, and the flesh attack our faith. I wrote it really for my daughter, Hannah, who's going to college here pretty soon. And you can order that book from Amazon or from CPH. If you search on their sites for Wolfmuller, it should come up. A Martyr's Faith for a Faithless World. There's some information on the website, wolfmuller.co as well, and you can learn more about it there. I'd love it. Uh, if you were able to pick it up and read it, if you're interested, I'd love to get your feedback and your thoughts on it, and we'll probably be talking about it more on upcoming episodes as well. So uh, take, a, take a look, A Martyr's Faith for a Faithless World. Crush Fitz, talking about Martyrs, Martyr Monday today. We talk about Agnes, and I thought, wait a minute, we talked about Agatha. Maybe we'll talk about Agnes next week. Agnes was younger. Agnes was like 12 when she was martyred. Ag Agatha was 22, at least our history says. I was going to move on, but I just got this Luther I just. This is from Luther's last sermon preached, oh, let's see, preached on February 15th in Eisleben, same place where Luther was born, by the way. It's a weird thing that Luther was born and died in Eisleben, but he was probably only there for like six months of his whole life. It's like his family left when they were just a baby baby, and he was just kind of fluke back to settle this fight these guys were having. He preached this, this sermon. Are you ready? You out there listening? 
Carrie says, by the way, before I read this, Carrie says, why do you have to tell these stories at dinner time? You know, they're kind of gruesome, these martyr stories. I think I've been reading so much of them that I don't realize the kind of impact. But this is shocking stuff, and it's we ought not to be surprised. If we have a God who is dying on a cross, if that's – maybe we shouldn't be surprised by some of this stuff. Anyway, here's Luther's uh, last sermon. Christ says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, Matthew 11. And it's though he were saying, just stick to me. Hold on to my word and let everything else go. If you're burned or beheaded for it, have patience. I will make it so sweet for you that you easily would be able to bear it. It's, has, it's been written of St. Agnes that when she was led to prison to be killed, it was to her as if she were going to a dance. Where did she get this? Ah, if only from Christ, from believing this saying of Jesus, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is to say, if things go badly, I will give you the courage even to laugh about it. And if even though you walk on fiery coals, the torment shall nevertheless not be so severe, that the devil shall nevertheless not be so bad, and you will rather feel that you are walking on roses. I will give you the heart to laugh, even though Turk, Pope, Emperor, and everybody else be filled with horrible wrath and rage. Only come to me. If you're facing oppression, death, or church torture because the Pope, the Turk, and the Emperor are attacking you, do not be afraid. It will not be heavy for you, but light and easy to bear. For I give you the Spirit, so that the burden which for the world would be unbearable becomes for you a light burden. For when you suffer for my sake, it's my yoke and my burden which I lay on you in grace, that you may know that your suffering is well-pleasing to God and to me, and that I myself am helping you to carry it and giving you the power and the strength to do so. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus says. All right. Enough of that. We got uh, not that much time and a lot to cover. We're going to start with this question. Ardith writes, Pastor Wolfmuller. Dear Pastor Wolfmuller, listening to this week's cross defense and had a question. During the, quote, does God kill people discussion, you said that the image of God had been lost with the fall. Do you mean completely lost? I've always heard more that it had been marred or twisted, akin to Lewis's glorious ruin metaphor, but not completely lost. Would love to hear your thoughts on this and or where I could read more about it from a Lutheran perspective on the same. Thanks so much. Prayers for Blessed Spain Adventure. All the best to your transition to Austin, Ardith. Thank you, Ardith, for that and for the kind words and for the for the kind greetings. It's a good question. When we talk about the image of God, this is an important theological question. But one of the problems that we have is that we don't exactly know what the image of God is because it was lost. We read in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, that the Lord created us in the image and likeness of God. And here's going to be, let me just give you... Um, kind of a list of the key verses that are going to come into play here. The first is Genesis 1, 26 to 28, and then Genesis 5, 1 to 3, very important. And then uh, Genesis 9, verse 6. There's some other texts that we'll talk about there as well. But we read in the beginning that God created Adam and Eve in his own image. Let us make man in our image and our, after our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the creatures and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, there's a... Well, there's a lot of controversy about this particular question about the image of God. But what we want to say is that the image of God, let it be understood rightly, the image of God is not our humanity, but rather an attribute of our humanity. And probably it has to do with like the whole realm of our capacity as human beings, but chiefly it has to do with how we are able to interact with God. So that the easiest way to think about the the image of God is that God gives us a perfect righteousness, that we perfectly fear and love and trust in him. So maybe that's a moral capacity. It has to do with our also our intelligence and our will and our knowledge and everything else that has to do uh, with that. Uh, Luther loves to talk about this. I, I was just got finished, re so I'm thinking about it, I just got finished reading Luther on Genesis 1, and, and he talks about how, how Adam and Eve would have had this massive and perfect intelligence that they would have been able to comprehend the things that they see. So, so Adam, this is great, that Adam would have looked at the animals and he would have understood why God created the animals to be like they are and understood perfectly the purpose of the parrot and the dolphin and the cat and the whatever else. And then after the fall, that when that image or that intelligence is lost, Adam simply looks at the animals and says, can I eat them? <laughs> That's the that's like that's the our our intelligence now. We just look at something and say, "Is it gonna eat me or can I eat it?" That's like the height of human intelligence. Oh, it's incredible. Anyway, uh, Luther goes on to say, "We we have no idea the capacity that Adam and Eve had before the fall because precisely because it's been lost, and especially that original innocence and original righteousness and original perfection, which was the image of God in which Adam and Eve were created." That is completely lost. And it's replaced with sin. Uh, it's replaced with original sin. It's replaced with the image of Adam. That's why this next text, Genesis chapter 5, is so important. This is the book of the generation of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own image and likeness after him after his image and named him Seth so Adam and Eve had the image of God but Seth and all of us have the image of Adam the image of corruption the image of sin of guilt even of death that's the that's the image of Adam that we that we bear ourselves so the image of God is lost and the and the image of man, the sin is replaced, and that's where we get the doctrine of original sin. That that corruption is passed on from Adam to Seth and to every generation to us. Original sin doesn't mean <laughs> original sin doesn't mean a sin that nobody else ever thought of. <laughs> like you see somebody sinning, you're like, wow, very original. <laughs> but original sin means this sin from Adam and Eve and this corruption that's passed on generation to generation. Now, what it doesn't mean when we say the image of God is lost, it doesn't mean that the capacity for righteousness has been lost. It doesn't mean like that we're no longer human beings or we no longer have that we no longer have a will or we no longer have intelligence or we no longer have a heart, but that all of those things rather than being directed to God and to his kindness, 
are rather directed towards sin. That's concupiscence. So that the so that the fact that we were created in the image of God, of God has enduring effect. This is one of the most important texts for that. This is Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. This is after Noah has gotten off the ark with uh, his family and all the animals, and God is sort of rebooting things, making, giving instructions for Noah about how things are supposed to look now. And he gives, he gives the capacity for... He, he says, now you can eat the animals. You don't, you're not going to be vegetarians anymore, and so forth and so on. And, the, and yet the Lord says, but whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So the fact that we're created in the image of God has enduring effect even after the fall. So we don't have the image of God. We don't have that righteousness. We don't have that perfection. We don't have that original fear, love, and trust in God like Adam and Eve did. And yet we still are, we, we still sort of bear the dignity of having been created in the image of God. And it's one of the ways that is very important for Christians. That is when we, when we, when we think of who we are, more importantly, when we think of who our neighbor is, we think of them in this way, that they are created in God's image, but fallen and yet redeemed. They're, they have Jesus as their brother and their savior, and they'll be raised on the last day. Even the non-Christian will be raised to a horrible resurrection of death. But, but we think of each other with those terms, those dignified terms, so that we, have, so that we honor one another as the creation of God. Now, uh, that image that was lost is being renewed in our baptism, in our life of faith, and at last in the resurrection. So you can get verses like, oh, let's see, Colossians. Well, Ephesians 2, if you're taking notes, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, and Colossians 3, I'll read a few verses starting with verse 9. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self, that's the old Adam, the sinful nature, with its practices, and you've put on the new self, being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So that the image of God is being what, in some way, restored through the work of the Holy Spirit until it culminates in the, uh, in the resurrection. Chief thing to note here is that, um, well, here's another verse, Ephesians 4, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. But chief thing to note here is that Jesus is the image of God restoring humanity. So Colossians 1, verse 15 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So that Jesus has, in, in a marvelous way, restored the image of God and is restoring us. Uh, to that image of God. Well, God be praised. And thank you, Ardeth, for that question. Oh, we're short on time. We just got a couple of minutes left. Huh? Yep, there it is. Ian has given me the three-minute warning. I promised a little conversation about seeing with spiritual eyes. Maybe we'll start, and we'll pick this up in a couple of weeks when we get back going again. But one of the things that I think is important for us in our Christian life is to, hmm, what, to see things through the eyes of Jesus. We, we know that there is more to life than meets the eyes. We know just for example that there's unseen forces that are all around. I mean there's angels and demons all around us. 
And we know we're told things that we can't see, but we're told things that we are to believe. In other words, we know that much of reality is explained by things that we can't even see, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know that that's true, but we can't see it. But when we begin to see the world through spiritual eyes, we're starting to confess, we're starting to understand that there's unseen things that are true. So that our physical eyes, what, what do we see with our physical eyes? We see sin and death, but by faith we know something more. With our spiritual eyes, we know forgiveness and we know life and salvation. Physical eyes see bread and wine on the altar. But spiritual eyes hear the words of Jesus and know that it's his body and blood. We, it's, Jesus, remember how when Jesus goes to the house of the, of the rich ruler and he sees, there, there's the baby, the daughter who had died. And, and everyone looks at this girl and says she's died. But Jesus, Jesus has different kinds of eyes. He looks at this girl and he says, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And the people see it and they laugh. The, the, the people who see things with spiritual eyes are often a mockery. The people who have spiritual eyes who see with different kinds of eyes. But Jesus has different eyes. He, she's, she's sleeping. Learn from this gospel lesson. Here's how Luther preaches that for us. That in the sight of Christ, in the sight of Christ, death is nothing more than a sleep. As we are here, behold, Jesus awakening the dead made by the touch of his hand is from a mere nap. Sickness is not sickness before him. Before the eyes of everyone else, the maid was dead. But before my eyes, Christ says, she lives. She's a, just asleep. David in his own eyes and the eyes of all men was just a poor shepherd. But before Jesus... David's a king. And all of us are poor sinners in our own eyes. But before Jesus, we are great saints like the angels of God. For there's only a word that's necessary. And sin, death, disease, they all pass away and make room for righteousness, life, and health. Oh, dear friends, Jesus sees you as his friend, as a beloved saint clothed in the armor of light, of fright, to the devil, a one, a one who will live eternally and overcome all the raging power of sin, death, and the devil. That's who you are in the eyes of Jesus. We see ourselves as weak and suffering and sinners, but Jesus, Jesus sees you as his friend, and he rejoices in that. Oh, God be praised. We'll take it up more on the next time you're listening to Cross Events. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Death Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. God's peace be with you. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thank you again for being a podcast listener. I hope and pray that this was encouraging to you. Uh, that it, it, it expand. What? How did Luther say it? That we it expands our the Holy Spirit expands our heart to receive all these great joys uh, from the Lord and from His Word, and that we have courage in the face of all these troubles in this life. If you think this would benefit someone, please share it. That's how the word gets around. So thanks for sharing that. And there's a lot more theology and all sorts of other stuff, videos and 
podcast writing at wolfmuller.co. Check, check that out uh, as well. I hope you enjoy that. There, there was a question about the image of God. I, I get a lot of information from the Doctrinal Theology of the Evangelical Lutheran Church by Heinrich Schmid, and that book is available free to download. If you go to wolfmuller.co, click the book button. You can find it there. Enjoy your week. God's peace be with you. We'll talk to you again soon.